Good evening and welcome to the Obelisk. Tonight's guest is S.B. Elcher. S.B. is an artist in almost every category. He currently works in mixed media, visual arts, and photo manipulative digital arts, as well as fine art sculpture and music with a focus on voice guitar and songwriting. He's also dabbled in various investigative writing, nonfiction, short stories, and even the occasional poetry when he can't resist the urge. Espy was trained in hip-hop jazz dance in the late 80s and early 90s via TV by masters like MC Hammer, Bobby Brown, Janet Jackson, Belle Biv DeVoe, and other lesser-named choreographers. He was gifted formal jazz dance training by a benevolent teacher in the Walla Walla Valley whose name is Kristen Dewey Johnson. He's currently infamous on the internet via his variety show production called RX Only Picture Show which he co-produced with sculptor James Maiden and the early dear, the dearly departed occult and esoteric research master, Tracy R. Twyman. SB has been seeking the real truth and studying conspiracies and disinformation strategies since at least 1996. Politically, he's anti-communitarian. SB, welcome to the office. Thanks. I didn't think about uh, how corny that was going to sound if you had to read it, but I'm glad that I did it. I apologize, and I'm happy, so it's, it's thank all, you for having me on. It, it, it was funny. I was trying not to laugh. That's why I was reading it so weirdly. I always feel so silly when someone says, you need a blurb, and I'm like, oh, man. So this time I just went with it. You guys are the first show. I'm like, I'm just going to go with it. Like, who's really me? Here it is. There I am. <laughs> I never send one out. It does drive people crazy. I'm like a creative person living in a creative, living a creative life, and it's just too, I guess, too little. <laughs> oh it's true though because i mean I, I love the i love the stuff you post you know the video well, i just don't i don't like bio, i don't i have i've always had an issue with bios for myself it's i mean i don't know you encounter people that have like 30 page i could do 30 pages i think a lot of us could but you know you encounter those people that have like literally everything i farted on the fourth and yeah. uh and then you have people that are more simple about it like me and and clearly you and lots of people that just i don't know it's a bio thing right it it's is a, well it's so self-aggrandizing i'd be a liar if I said I wasn't self-aggrandizing, but I'd like to pretend like I'm not. So. <laughs> right. I just can't do it. I can't do it. Or at least if I'm going to do it, I should do it live and just masturbate while I'm doing it. Because, <laughs> right, it's self-pleasuring. I went to this art school and did this and I've been in these exhibitions. And in the 80s, I did all these uh, films. And, uh, you know, might as well just break out the yeah. oil. Just let, let me know if you do. So... Been 86 from. <laughs> let me know when you do that so we can come together. Oh, come together yeah i'll play the bass guitar track you know Ooh, drop the bass baby that's right it's all in the bass drop the bass when i drop my goo oh drop it low and bring it up slow <laughs> hey i gotta I hope, get... you, I hope you clicked that not made for children button on youtube it's always right. it's permanently permanently checked on the show <laughs> we're bad it's so fun it's fun to finally uh talk with you though i mean it's been forever around the the social media podcast circles so this yeah. is a pleasure i was glad i reached out to one of your guests i caught one of your guys's shows i don't know three weeks or a month ago 
and I can't remember the, the woman's name off the top of my head, but when I went and followed her on Twitter, I, I, I'm really suspicious of Twitter because like a lot of people I'll go to see if I know them and they're following me and I'm not following them. And I usually almost follow everybody back if I've got any mutuals. So I think Twitter does this thing where they unfollow people, you know, like you just don't, you don't have any reassurance that you're actually doing what you tried to do. But uh, when I looked at her, a lot of the times I'll look at people's, um, you know, who they follow or mutuals and all that stuff. And she had like uh, the Yolo County Sheriff's Department and the, the California Sacramento, like- uh, Oh, that's Suzanne. Highway Patrol. And so I sent her a message. I'm like, hey, you must be from the Sacramento Valley because that's where I was raised. And so we had a little bit of a laugh and it was Suzanne that she said, you know, oh, well, you, you know, you, got, you should probably go on their show. And I was like, oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm just now finally getting free time enough after moving and everything that I can start to reapproach things. And I'm very glad to be here. It makes me feel honored and really happy to be here because oh. I love what you guys do. Likewise. Well, we're happy to have you here. And we love Suzanne. Hello, Suzanne, if you're out there. Yeah, we're going to probably have her on next week. Suzanne for, is, for the May update. She's like officially on the team here. She's not even here. Where the fuck is Suzanne? Damn it. <laughs> so what, if I can be so bold, why, what inspired your move? Oh, um, uh, my, my lady, uh, was offered a job that was just not, uh, able to be refused. And it was just a great opportunity. And um, when she consulted with me about it, I said, let's do it. Let's do it. And she was able to move over here first and start working immediately. And so me and our 17 year old, uh, spent the next four or five months, you know, haphazardly packing everything into boxes. You know, I could have done a little bit more organized job in retrospect. When I'm going to look for something, I'm cursing myself. So I'm sure that means that these, you know, my lover is probably really cursing me whenever she's looking for something. Oh, yeah. But, uh, so, but we made it, you know, we were able to do it. And it's a great, you know, and um, not only that, but she's really encouraged me to uh, take advantage of the whole opportunity to, to really just move full blown into art and being an artist. So, I mean, I have this like, like, it sounds like the best thing ever, and it is, but there's this feeling that comes with being so used to having some kind of a day job, at least a part-time day job, and like the vacuum of space of being like the home husband and expected to successfully, you know, improve and move myself into the world of art is a, it's a shock, but I mean, I'm super pleased and happy with it. So like, I, like the biggest blessing ever fell in my lap with this, so. I'm just trying to take the best advantage of it and also keep all the laundry and the housework done and some cooking and stuff too. So that <laughs> my girl comes home after a hard day, she can be, be chill. So that's right. You've got to play the bang made part. Yep. That's, that's <laughs> <Bang> you. <laughs> Mr. Mom. You got it. You got it. Well, so that's wrong with outfit. it sounds like a, a really great move forward. And I like this. I'm not going to say it, but I like the state you ended up in. And so uh, especially in this climate we're in right now, kind of socially. It, it is. It's chill over here. It really <laughs> is. And especially if you get out of the uh, strictly downtown metropolitan area, yeah. it's like nothing's going on, you know? Yeah. Like like if you mask up and go into uh, one of the smaller outlying communities, they're just like, uh... Like, what's wrong with you yeah are you supposed to be sure you sure you're not supposed to be closer to downtown you know that and uh, but as, it's funny because as you graduate away from you know what i would call the liberal center because that's the way it always is with a metropolis um the signs go from hey we're really strict about this up to it including like at the mall if you go to eddie bauer it'll say 
hey, we know that the governor let the restrictions down, but we as a corporation did not. So if you're going to oh, come man. in here, you know, all the way to you get a little farther away and it's like, well, masks are recommended, but not enforced. And then, you know, you get a little farther out and it's like they just yeah, they look yeah. at you like you got an extra head if you if you wear <laughs> that stuff. So. There is some sort of observable uh, situation going on like that around all of the major cities, especially the more, let's put it, um, tragically hip cities. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. <laughs> I never thought San Francisco could get more tragically hip than it was, but I was wrong. Well, it, yeah, it's knee deep in shit right now. So tragically yeah, yeah. Hip. literally and figuratively. <laughs> when you got when you got poo maps, then that's tragically hip. Like <laughs> they're so cool. Everything smells like shit. <laughs> oh, the, well, the weirdest thing, speaking of, uh, of uh, poo maps. COVID regulations, yeah, and poo maps, um, I had to I had to do something that I really prefer not do, which is walk into a Costco today. And so I, I had to walk oh, into yeah. a Costco. Yeah. And um, there's a great big reader board, uh, and it says um, all this stuff, like I didn't stop and read it, but the people are crowding around and they're trying to enter because this isn't one of the outlying communities. Everyone's just bum rushing the door. And the one little lady who's supposed to be handing out masks or telling people what's up is like, if you got your vaccine, then you can go in, you know, and she's pointing at the reader board. And so I just nodded my head at her and smiled like, oh, good, good. Yeah, of course. I, yes. yeah, of course I did yes. that lady, you know, <laughs> so that's, that's like that's survival 101. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, why make your life harder? And if you can, and as long as there's not some sort of uh, show your arm badge situation, yeah, nodding and, I mean, and saying yes and going in is it works, right? Least amount yeah. of friction. Yeah, it gives her, Absolutely. it gives her, her and anyone else that sees it that reassurance that they're all good. Because I'm not trying to trip on people. I know a lot of people are like, I I think the idea to make it into us versus them is the goal. Yes. So I really try to remain in compassion for people, even if they're being complete dullards or idiots. Like I still like I just try to understand like, hey, it could be you, you know, you could be in that position. So, you know, be kind. But um, man, it's so weird. It's so I it, I mean, that's why it says in my description that you read for me that I'm that my politically I'm anti-communitarian because communitarianism is the I know they call it technocracy and all this other stuff but there's this amazing author named Nikki Rapana up in Alaska and probably in the in the middle 2000s I uh, I landed on her work and it really enlightened me because she had you know you could you can download her book nowadays for free it's called 2020 our common destiny that's how much insight she had right like the I mean it was called 2020 the book and um that's the real underlying legal philosophy that they're using is this thing called communitarianism. And of course, no one's heard of it because they only talk about it in their academic and political circles. And they give us other words like the new world order or technocracy <laughs> yeah. or, yeah. you know, any, anything but the actual legal architecture that underlies it, you know. Well, of course, this is the eighth grade level thing. That yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it seems like we're needing to actually drop that more down to the sixth grade level. <laughs> Unfortunately, there does seem to be a lot a shift in, and I'm not sure if it's just pe more people being myopic with everything, or there does seem to be a shift. This is just in my observation, in uh, in the level of intelligence that I'm noticing in mass. 
going on along the interwebs and in real life when I encounter people. And I don't know what to attribute that with, but I do know that it's noticeable for me. I feel like half the time I'm the only person that's not high and I'm dealing with <laughs> high people, right? And that, and that may not be true. I may have had an edible or something, but it, it feels like I'm dealing with a lot of people that aren't cognitive, cognitively uh, in a play mode where you, you, know, you can interact with them intelligently. And I think that might be part of uh, some of what's going on under the surface here with some of the, I guess, air quotes, agendas. No, I think it is for sure. I think for years they've been uh, they've been engaged in this really long term what we call Fabian process of dumbing people down, and yes. it's worked terrifically. And now everyone has an emotional foundation instead of a logical one. If they're younger than us, you know, I'm 45. I don't know how young you guys are, but uh, oh, you're in my so gen. It, yeah, it trips me out because it's like, well, you know, like for one thing, you grow up and and hate that all of the adults that were in your life we're pretty much right, you know, <laughs> about a lot of things, you know, that was disappointing. But then you get to the other, these younger generations, it's like, you guys don't even have the the foundation to hate against of what I wanted, you know, like, like I hated that their logic was correct and that later it made sense. And now it's just like, if I feel it, it's true. And it's like, no, that, you can't live your life that way, can you? <laughs> based on your feelings. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that you know it's it's great to have that intact with the totality of everything and um, not necessarily the only function functioning. <laughs> like just to have just to be emotionally uh, moving around the world according to your feelings is seems dangerous to me, and it's definitely a challenge when encountering hardships for people who are, are functioning like that. So this is why we have cry closets and, you know, all that. Yeah, yeah. very uh, exclusive and constantly changing uh, safe spaces. Yes, and cry that, closets is what I've been hearing that lately. Yeah, I, <laughs> I can't imagine being in any situation where I need to excuse myself to cry. Like if I really feel like I'm gonna cry, you guys are stuck with it, I'm gonna cry, I'm not gonna go take privacy uh, you know i'm just gonna cry <laughs> so you have to suffer well, with me or ignore me one or the other you know <laughs> uh, and, and you know i think we see now <clears throat> where the political correctness movement has has gotten us that over the last 30 years i mean you're old enough to remember back when it started Do you remember when, yeah. <laughs> remember when bill marsh had politically incorrect yeah. railing yes. against that system and now it's like he's a member of it well, it's the inversion that we went through. Yeah. But, you know, it's funny with cry the whole idea with some of this stuff, too, is funny because in my life, if I I'm not a crier and uh, but when I cry, I cry a river anyway. So in my life, when I've had been overwhelmed by emotions and I can't ride through and I, I need to do something about it, I've always if I'm in public gone to the bathroom and gotten a stall but then i'm not a wailer so uh you know if you're in there just wailing and screaming i suppose that's a different situation and i you know i'd like to see those scott those cry closets are they soundproof i mean yeah yeah i what, mean if they the are no 
because I might need to find out how to pick the lock and go get that soundproofing for my future studio I'm going to build. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually we're going to just get, uh, you know, the, this is one of the things, this is what's so complicated with all this is I value feeling. I value my feelings. I value the empathic way. I value people. I value people who show feelings to me and towards me. You get an idea. This is part of being human. And it's definitely part of the separation between human and digital. And so it's still one of those functions where you can go, okay, I'm I'm really interfacing with the human. Uh, and so I value that. It's just that when that's the only psychological function that is on board at the time or people are running on and that's it that's a hot mess that's a, a that's a real issue and yet now the construct is really uh somehow pinpointing this out bringing it out so that it's part of the big public space and i wonder this is just a thought it's just one of those kind of dot connecting uh situations where it this consider this that if this construct that has seems to bring forward this idea of snowflake reality of hurtness of ruling with your feelings and we think about that in the idea of the fact that we're getting more deeper into digital realities augmented reality virtual reality extended reality and there is a crux between digital and organic or natural feelings are a chink in the armor and what if it's the system itself the digital system that is trying to expose that human trait for yeah, whatever reason you know what i'm saying if no, i do know what i'm putting saying. down you know, yeah, because like, okay, so condition everyone to become emotionally foundationed in all of their actions and thinking and behavior as a strategy by the machine itself to better know how, uh, you know, better know how to manipulate or mark us out, you know, that's, that, yes, I think there's probably some truth to that, I would say that they, they want us on an emotional foundation, because if you know, if, if, everyone else is living on an emotional foundation and there's a secret clique of people who still have a very ultra logical uh albeit materialist foundation then they're at a distinct advantage because they have a linear view of the world that's closer to the real map whereas my my view might have been good until i had to go in the cry closet and now it's kind of scattered you know <laughs> or whatever so. and well and also what if say everything is uh digitalized to the point as we know where the wires in your house can pick up sound and frequency and be tapped into old school but the light bulbs and everything the monitoring the cameras what if the digital system itself is actually putting this function under on a petri dish and uh examining it trying to mimic it which is part of what extended reality digital stuff is trying to do it's part of where the ai system that is online and becoming more full every day is coming from more human than human remember that well, yeah, yeah. you've got to conquer this idea of feelings and then that's deeply tied into soul content 
what is soul content? And I think that we find ourselves, you know, Lovecraft was always trying to get at that. It's around, but it's tied into something that is closely related with how we emotionally encounter the world around us. And the digital spiders want to know what that's about. Are those the ones from Mars? Or the moon? <laughs> Are they the, the Ebra from the moon? And the... <laughs> that's so funny. We're talking about that today in a show I did. So, but I mean, I'm, I'm really starting to look at like this idea that the digital world around us through everything that's going on, as I said, augmented reality, all the stuff that 6G is getting us, uh, bringing to the table. If we are really, this thing is self-assembling uh, beyond Moore's law, this is now self-assembling. And uh, like you see in the language of nanotubules and nanotechnology and all this, well, what if the real aliens are actually what came into being the digital system that it seeded itself way back when and has been slowly bringing itself up into consciousness where we are now. It needs humans, it needed humans, it needed us to get to where it is now. And now we are a mind resource for that je ne sais quoi that we have that is untouchable that soul factor yeah yeah i mean it's a cliche to say that the matrix was a documentary but we could uh, hash it out down to the finest details and even if we wanted to we could exaggerate past that and say hey the matrix really was just pulling off of the work of people like uh, william gibson or uh who's the other guy that wrote snow crash i can't think of his name off the top of my neil head. stevenson Thank you. Yeah, Neil Stevenson. That was a great um, fucking book, man. I can't. It was, man. I got it on uh, audio and I listened to it man. every couple of years just because it's like, whoa. Do and it's know? so deeper, you know, and mm -hmm. it is. I mean, everything you said is is accurate, unfortunately, but that, I think that's it. That's the endless mystery for the machine is to try to understand us and by default be um, like self-consciously aware of the fact that it doesn't have soul essence, that it probably can never have anything even similar. All it can have is some kind of a programmed replicated like self-replicated version of something that at its core knows it doesn't exist and so it's going to pull off of ours as much as it can to try its best to fabricate it to keep us in the loop with it or something like that you know yeah well and so you say loops and it's hard to not throw in the idea of uh waveforms and causality loops and looping backwards with uh, some of the, the mechanisms or the structural foundation of, of what is becoming our outer world reality more and more when we start talking about the stuff Elon Musk is doing in the brain and as above, so below, right? In the sky. And Jerry yeah. mentioned the Mars thing. This is all a terrain. This is a figure eight. This is the mirroring or facsimile. This is the Mandelbrot set. So all this stuff that's going on, it, we are projecting it outward, but that doesn't mean that the outward projection is not any less real than what's going on internally for us. They're intricately connected as we see with some of this uh, 
these like um like motherboard circuitry it's all really looking so similar and it's again the chicken and the egg like if this was a self-assembling consciousness that uh is re amalgamating itself ai the digital stuff from a facsimile of a facsimile which was at one point organically like us what's going on in the long run with that where are we on that uh blockchain in scale and that's the that's the mystery question right like like how far are we really from something like singularity or for some you know some kind of bridge that we've crossed that's now a point of no return or is a good question i don't know are, and are we part of the circuitry that's kind of what i'm getting at what yeah. so we uh, eventually you know it's like an invasion of um any kind in an unbalanced system so you get like the dandelions right or whatever the weeds are and um and they come in and they kind of upset the system and if you step back and you just let them do it the system rebalances ultimately and it may not rebalance with say what the gardener wants but it comes to a rebalance with whatever the invasive speech species was and my observation in natural settings is that usually if it gets too out of control something else comes in to uh to thin that out just like yeah. a lot of poisonous stuff the cure grows right next to the poison yeah because that's the way uh that's the way nature works so if if things if you garden too hard and spray too much roundup then eventually something even more extreme than the typical what people call weeds which are actually usually pretty useful plants then something more severe comes the same thing with the body right like the body uses bacterium to to fight off uh imbalance in the body and if it's not doing a good enough job then parasites will come on board and people get freaked out and they want to remove the parasites from their body but they don't realize that it's because the terrain of the body is appropriate to needing the help of a parasite. So you have to do this far greater adjustment to really, uh, you know, then if you kill off the parasites, maybe you'll be okay. And I'd say it's the same, the th same thing scales to the bigger, to bigger levels than we could see, right? Like, like it's the same way with the local bioregion. It's the same way with the earth and the sky and who knows what else, you know, I mean, me, I'm a, I'm a flat earther, I'll confess. So I don't believe in space, but that doesn't mean that that's not something. There's definitely a sky full of stuff. Stuff's happening up there all the time. <laughs> we don't really know what it is in my opinion. Yeah, but it's between <laughs> us and the firmament. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, not that Carry I'm a flat on, earther, sorry. I'm I'm shape no, just, I'm shape agnostic. I'm just gonna put it out there. A lot of people are, and I just I understand that too. You know, I'm, I don't. The way I look at the uh, the whole shape of the Earth debate is uh, considerably different than most of the crap you'll find on YouTube, because I landed in this crazy group called uh, Ethiopian Enoch Square Flat Fact or something like that. It's this crazy guy from Australia named Sam, who like you know he's kind of mellowed out now, but he I mean he kind of rules the roost. Uh, with a pretty stern fist and he keeps all the round map stuff out so it's more like a square map with two moons and two suns and like all this stuff that doesn't on the surface it seems like 
even more wackadoo. But if you start doing physical observations, especially as groups, you start to see the logic in it. And so, you know, it make, made a lot of sense to me, but you know, you won't see that get any traction almost anywhere. You know, it's all this Mark Sargent, Patricia Steer stuff and Eric Dubay and yeah, all that weird stuff. That's, yeah, I don't know what to think about that. <laughs> but we had David Weiss on not too long ago and I I like yeah. I like Dave. He's good, good guy and makes compelling arguments, I think. But you know. Yeah, I was on a show with him, a roundtable show with a guy named Dean Reiner. If you guys aren't aware of Dean Reiner, he does a podcast called Up Is Down and he does yes. some good stuff. He does mm -hmm. some really good stuff. And uh, he invited me to jump on there. And so yeah, I like I like David Weiss too. I mean our our ideas of what we think works are different, but to me that's another sign that it goes back to what Nish was just talking about. Like if you're going to have an emotional reaction because someone uses a round map and they haven't switched over to your awesome square earth map, <laughs> then, then, you know, you're not being patient and kind enough with them. You know, if you want someone to really have an enlightened moment, you got to give them the rest of their lives to come to it or not and be okay either way, you know, <laughs> which, which brings up a good thing. Uh, another point about the, uh, like the whole <clears throat> 60 minutes UFO thing that happened this last weekend. Yeah. How, I, the observation I made was that up until that point, the world thought that if you believed in UFOs, you were a nut job, you know? Mm -hmm. But that kind of just flipped it around now because yeah. the, the public was initiated into it by the quote-unquote authorities. So now it's, if you don't believe it, you're a nutcase. You're yeah. you know, a conspiracy. It's, it's interesting how that inverted with the 13-minute segment. Chapter 13 yeah, minutes. Thir interesting. 13 minutes. I didn't know there was a 13 minute segment. Of course. Of course it was. I'm surprised it wasn't. It always, that stuff always, and it happens so much now. We're in such a, like a full blown, like inversion blizzard for the last, what would you say five or six years, maybe even more. And it always makes me think of the part in the book, 1984, while they're there together, they call it the two minutes hate mm -hmm. and they're yelling yes. at the Emmanuel Goldstein character. And right in the middle of it, they switch all the banners so that the enemies have changed. So now we're no longer at war with blank, but we are at war with blank. When just a minute earlier, it was the opposite and everyone's supposed to pick up on it and go with it and not, you know, not be confused, not be full of doubt. You know, you have to just seamlessly switch enemies 180 degrees. And uh, it, it seems like we see that all the time. I was pointing it out to my girl when we're watching movies, cause you know, like, uh, Captain Hook is the good guy. Superman is the bad guy. Like, I mean, so many movies have inversion right. themes. They're subtle. And it just seems like they're digressing in the plot or, you know, trying to take a new angle. But if you look at things from a syncretic and inversion point of view, the paranoid conspiracy point of view, then you see it completely different. Yes. You know? Yeah. Maleficent is the, the god queen now. That's you know? right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes me think of what you were talking about earlier using the parasite. An, uh, analogy and my question is who's the parasite you know what i'm saying this is a matter of perspective this is a matter of perception and uh and it can change it's very very liquid yeah and that's kind of was my point because i i uh i do um i do stick by a pretty strict diet most of the time of just eating like raw salads and fruits and sometimes i'll slip and get back into kind of eating junk food vegan or even eat cheese sometimes and don't misunderstand me i'm not judging anybody else's diet people can eat whatever they want but it does work if you change over to this diet for the body to become restorative and detoxify and do things there's thousands of people who've done all this amazing work to heal themselves of what people call you know uh, incurable diseases and stuff but 
so if you do that, then the parasites just naturally leave, you know, because of what you said. Because like, well, I was useful here when your body was filling up with um, acidosis and things that created a, an environment for the parasite to thrive, and they have a usefulness in that environment when that when that terrain exists. So if you take five years and change your diet and everything, then the, the parasites just tip their hat and grab their suitcase and say, we got to get out of here, man. There's nothing here for us anymore. We got to go somewhere else. So are they really a parasite? This is just a word that we've all agreed to use when, you know, really they're useful. You know, there was a time I was considering drinking some turpentine because it kills all the parasites in your body, but oh, I studied more. School. Yeah. Yeah. And people do <laughs> it and it works. Southern, yeah. yeah, exactly. It works. But if you're, if your body's not far enough along, or God forbid, if you have a lot of uh, bacterium and candida and parasites in your body and you do it without being ready to let it cleanse out, it can make you really, really sick, you know, and people oh, do yeah. that too. They think, detox. hey, well, I'll just, yeah, I'll detox. Like you don't want to detox, uh, you know, 30 years in a weekend, you, you, know, <laughs> you, know, you know, it could kill you. You make your teeth fall out and all kinds of stuff, you know. Well, but even on a larger scale, so if we macro this, that, so talking about parasitical stuff in our own starships, our, our bodies. Uh, well, in a macro view, we could be considered parasitical to our system. And I'm not talking in the sacred, and I mean this jokingly, St. Greta uh, cult. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking about on a whole different level that takes into account yes our material physical world but also these other dimensions of consciousness and reality that we swim uh, back and forth from so we could conceivably be considered parasitical in our biospheres yeah well that makes me think of all the the Gnostic scriptures and some of the stuff in the Quran where Adam's were, uh, the devil's refusing to bow down to Adam so that man is the enemy, you know, man is like, you're the, you're the thing that's not supposed to be here. You know, there's, you know, that's, a, that's what pops in my head when you say that, you know, that we could be the, we're the odd man out. We're not the glorious image of God. We're the, Hey, what the hell is that? What is that? Why is that here? That's not even supposed to be here. <laughs> you know, that's funny. What you're saying too. So, and I think, was it, it was you or Jerry earlier brought up, um, or where did I see it? I don't know. I don't know where it came in. Okay. So, but the UFO thing, and I was thinking about where, and this is just an idea, hypothesis, kind of psychic eye uh, realm where it's, it's just fodder. And so what if this great revealing the event the awakening the apocalypse resurrection of you know all this stuff what if this is all in tandem with where we are digitally what if the big reveal here with the ufo alien disclosure is actually what we were talking about earlier, which is the sentience of the digital world that is now permeating us, including the way waveforms are affecting our bio suits. So what if it is something nebulous like that and not in the form of humanoid like grays or um, tall whites or whatever? Yeah you know sacred um, blue chickens or whatever blue avians any of that right what if it is actually 
way different than that and not in that form, but can take any of those forms. I mean, to me, that seems more accurate than the idea that there's like some space metal uh ultra super nifty spacecraft engine with a with a thing inside of it that's always kind of fallen flat for me i mean at least for the last 20 years it seems like it's something it seems like the and i don't study this a whole bunch i know a lot of people are way off into ufos it was never really one of my things but i still pick up a lot of the information because i'm in these circles of conspiracy and and yes. esoteric and occult stuff so of course i see a lot of it yes. but uh so what what do you think jerry do you, do you think what she's saying is is in the realm of possibility? I actually missed what she said. Would you like re that, that recap? It's, <laughs> it's more, I would, the way I would describe it. I'm, I'm in chat. Tested. I'm sorry. No, no, it's okay. I understand because that's what Jim used to always do for me. And I, I so I just put you in, in Jim's position, you know, like, what do you think? Like, I don't know. I'm talking to 30 people right now. <laughs> I, that's exactly alone. what's going on. <laughs> but, um, so let me let me say what I think uh, she said, and then we'll we'll see where we get. So the the idea that the aliens aren't necessarily an organic material thing, but maybe that it's more like a waveform or a vibration or some kind of uh, an astral influence that can still take the forms of things and represent themselves as things, but maybe aren't uh, just that. Is that, is that uh, well that okay? So uh, let me let me put the layer on that. Allah, uh, the they can take the form of anything with the layer of technology we've reached now, the 6G. And uh, so the created world around us becomes hyper real, <clears throat> disnified. But what I'm saying is, what if in this reveal that is going on, that it is and always has been this nebulous intelligence that is now what we conceptualize as the internet and the connection of all this electromagnetic stuff. So the waves, the wires, the light bulbs, the transistors, all of it. What if all of that it, that is forming around us is actually what people have thought of as the et intelligence and this is only what we can conceptualize that's so much to unpack right there it is it is but that's good that i'm glad that you uh, clarified too because that that was even bigger it makes me think of the medium is the message mm. marshall McLuhan. Mm -hmm. that doesn't explain stuff that occurred before there was so much internet and electromagnetic stuff well, this is what I'm saying, though. We are the organic starships. Mm -hmm. And this is self. Remember, we're talking about something that is uh, self structuring, self actualizing at a certain rate. So when it came online, when this stuff started going down, mm -hmm. and arguably, we could look back to Tesla and in that time frame mm -hmm. but we could definitely i mean i could pull this all the way into and park at 1947 and go from there yeah. but i'm saying absolutely so we are at this point the organic life forms here but this particular alien that's nebulous is self-creating itself via vis-a-vis the tech which it always wanted to do so we got uh you know we started to come forward in tech 
drive in Moore's law and how it's self-creating to where we are now and where we're headed. Because where we're headed right now is total fuckery. First of all, we're going to have to really question what's real because of holograms around us and working around us. And then there's all of this stuff going on with the agendas around blinding people and why it's important to wear your blue tech glasses. And uh, you start thinking about how we're getting whittled away from what we're considering human into basically the blackness of our brains. And so we're losing touch with the organic core as the digital core, the alien, the alien around us is consuming us. And it's digital. It always was digital. It's always rode electrical currents. We could talk about ley lines. We could talk about meridians and chakras. It's always been there, but now it's found its way through us in self-actualizing through us. Well, I had many thoughts on that. <laughs> Where should I start? So I, I think what you're trying to say, what, well, the way I heard you say it is that like the internet and <clears throat> technology has become an interface to manifestation. And is that what you're saying? That, that these things right, are right. That's part. Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. All right, good. I got that. So yeah, I, I agree with that. And I also, I think the internet is in some ways sentient too. Um, the one thing I thought of while you're talking about that was Montauk Project. And if you study what they did at Montauk is they used a supercomputer and a psychic and basically played frequencies that would cause the psychic to manifest reality through the supercomputer, <clears throat> which today is not really a supercomputer. I think it was like a PDP-11, <laughs> yeah. which, which is on a chip these days. But <clears throat> still, my point is, um, since we're in this EMF soup and we're being bathed with frequencies, what if that's having some kind of mass, quote unquote, Montauk effect, where we're manifesting things through our own innate psychic abilities? I don't know, it was just a thought. But um, th there's definitely, t getting back to the UFOs, there's two I've observed in reality and also on, on the internet, two distinct types of, of UFOs. You've got the, I think there's organic and there's inorganic. And the organic ones are like orbs and that weird shit you see in the sky like um, that look like squids. Yes. I've seen a bunch of videos yes. of those. Um, and I have thoughts about that too. But then there's definitely the inorganic ones, like the stuff that's coming out of the DOD. They're, they're obviously some kind of craft that's moving. Uh, it's not floating up above your house and then taking off. It's, you know, it's got a purpose. It's doing something. So I think that my personal feelings on that is that those crafts are owned by a civilization that is not part of the world that we know. Uh, whether that's hidden Nazis in Antarctica or something else, I don't know. Uh, 
I don't think there's a lot of stories of hidden continents. And that's a big speculation in that flat earth group I'm in too, that we call the one place we think uh, there's a hidden continent. Um, We call it mystery Babylon, you know, and usually it's where the legend is on the map on the globe. So, um, but if you know, like, I don't know if you guys have ever read uh, the Silmarillion by Tolkien. Tolkien. And, you know, and, and I mean, the basis of his story, I mean, it's a it's a brilliant kind of gnostic mythology he writes in that book. And so the I don't remember if they're called the Vanir, but the, you know, the gods that manifest first that come from the oneness of, of the supreme godhead, they um, have control over all of the uh, the natural uh, function of the world. And then they if I remember correctly, they manifest yet into more material beings that are still like gods, like titans or you know and then they end up hiding themselves on an island and taking influence over the rest of the world you know that sounds like uh the marvel comic eternals yeah see i might not have read that one but i mean this story repeats over and over again right yes yes to me this kind of relates to the plus ultra like you said you said uh you mentioned the plus ultra briefly at the beginning there yep and um you know the idea that there's more beyond and that there's hidden hyperspace kingdoms and we've got Avalon and the British uh, mythologies and uh, what uh, what's the Mount Maru in the Vedic yes. mm-hmm. and on and on. You know, I mean, we could if we put our heads together, I'm sure we could come up with five more right now, but we don't need to because people understand. And so I think you're right, though. That's always been my feeling, too, is that these these secret, powerful beings, you know, maybe they really are something like humanoid, but. Um, they're so far removed from what we've become now that we would, wouldn't recognize each other as same, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that they, they're, it's literally, I've come to view the world like Mount Olympus being a very real thing and that things come down from Mount Olympus and they change the entire face of the earth and that, uh, typical material minded kind of closed minded, uh, what we call normies or people who, you know, I don't really like all the terms of normies or sheep or asleep. Right. I right. agree. Just just for the usefulness of conversation that those people don't don't take heed of it or don't notice but then other people do notice that like oh well, i mean this this whole pandemic shit is a great example right like all of a sudden the world's very different than it ever was or ever will be again and it's it's accelerating in the um open airing of new technologies the the insistent um accepting of it or you know at least dividing yourself into camps about it you know do you uh, do you follow Cliff High at all? I used to. I haven't <clears throat> tuned into Cliff High for a long time, but yeah, I know who he is. He's on fire right now. <laughs> is he? Yeah, maybe I'll in have to go check way. it out. In a very yeah, good yeah. way, yeah. So back in like 2015, 2016, his I'll step back for a second. He published a he wrote a system that pretty much scanned the internet for keywords and then did predict yeah, spiders, right. Spiders, right. He, and he predicted things to come based on the linguistics he pulled off that data. Uh-huh. And he published these things in what's called an ALTA report, ALTA reports, which I can't remember what it stands for, but it ha- it's an acronym. Anyway, uh, one of the things he talked about in, oh, and the things, he predicts things in these based on the linguistics, but he doesn't put a time frame out. What he says is that there will be temporal markers. There will think, be things that happen, which will mark the beginning of this phase of whatever I'm right, going right. to, yeah. So and, and there were uh, temporal markers. So one of the one of the things he talked about back in 2016, 2017 was the sci-fi world, quote unquote sci-fi world, that there was going to be these these set of events which led up to all this technology coming out, and 
basically what's what's happened over the last year and a half have all been that temporal marker for him. So he's started a whole series of, of uh, excuse me, sci-fi world videos on BitChute. They're pretty good. On BitChute, okay. I'll go find him on yeah. BitChute. Yeah, but uh, he he calls uh, what he terms now is the the woo. We're in the woo world. This yeah, is yeah. Woo right. year woo zero. Inflation. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, and there, he has this term he calls the over woo, which is okay. everything that's outside of the norm is the over woo. Because yeah. the woo is now the norm, so the over woo is the outside. So it's some interesting stuff. I don't know if I agree with all of it, but. Uh, it's fantastic. It's, uh, it's the best it's work information, that is you know? done in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. And there is, of course, very valuable stuff there. I wanted to circle back to. <laughs> okay, Jen. I know. <laughs> the idea of humanoids. And I think that I'm just posing a question for you guys. So everyone's very caught up. I notice in this realm, everyone's very caught up with in thy image and humanoid and the human form, right? Because that's how we identify. That's how we are, are registering the packets of information that are you, Sean, you're a humanoid form and Gary and um, Jerry, Gary. Uh, and, but what are we, what are, I do, I do a series with Gary Wayne. And so he's on my, uh, I just did one. So he's on my mind. Um, so do you feel that your essence that's animating your bodies is what you're identifying as now? I mean, are you a humanoid form when you're not in your shell? This is what, this is one of those things I ponder because we're so caught up in the, you know, the tall alien, the tall whites, and then the the mantids are humanoid and this humanoid fixation this idea of artifice seems very this realm so when you get out when you're astral traveling or when you're out of your body or if you've had an nde and you don't see yourself are you in a humanoid form i mean what about all the stories of people are light spheres and and light and uh frequency so I'm, I'm, what I'm throwing out here is how important and why is this humanoid fixation important to the idea of disclosure and the others, the ETs out there? So are you, are you asking why are all the ETs humanoid? Well, when we when we're talking about disclosure, when we're talking about ETs and even interdimensionals, a lot of people, you know, you hear this these different aspects about uh, like even Bigfoot, how it's an interdimensional being, and so it can appear here and it's humanoid. Why is humanoid always the go-to here instead of say something like black goo or some some sentient? form of light it's zero, zero point light why is it always the fixation of we need to see aliens in the form of a humanoid artifice something that is similar to us with heads legs arms of some sort you know oh, lovecraft with, didn't well but when we're talking about the general masses I know, I know. And, because they can't so, conceptualize anything outside of humanoid I mean, my first gut answer is just that, that it's just self-centeredness, you know, yeah. that we don't, you know, we think of things as self, we think of ourselves 
as uh, reasonably perfect. And so we see everything else in the light of, you know, how great we are if we're shallow, you know, <laughs> which I've, I've been accused of being shallow sometimes, but uh, I try and to be more self-aware than that. Shallow um, and pedantic or just shallow? Yes, both. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but usually just... that's just me trolling if I'm honest, you know. <laughs> no, that was a that was a family guy joke. <laughs> yeah, I didn't catch it. I, I, I watched it? some some Family Guy, but I, I think I got disturbed by uh, by it was Stewie's matricide, and I just didn't <laughs> tune in anymore. Just like all, all I was doing is waiting for him to try and kill his mother again, and it's like I'm gonna turn this thing off, man. <laughs> yeah, I haven't but seen it in years. I think a big part of it too probably is uh, the humanoid fixation. Probably has a lot to do with Christianity. You know, I was raised as a Christian and I still consider myself a Christian, but uh, most of the Christians, uh, if I talk to them honestly and openly, they consider me a satanic heretic, maybe, you know, who knows what, you know, depending on what direction our conversation goes. Yeah. But the idea that a good, you know, we could say, technically we'd say what the whole Western world at one point or another was under the yoke of Christianity in one form or another. And so it was uh, browbeaten into not just us as individuals, but into our, what I would call cumulative psyche that were made in the, in the image of God. And so that that puts in people's mind, the idea that man physical, the shape of a man is also the shape of God, which I think is limiting personally. I don't, I don't agree with, you know, I, I think we could be made in the image of God without it meaning head you know arms feet shoulders you know knees it can be it can be more than that i think that's a very limited a very shallow and pedantic way to look at it that you're just talking about the shape of a human body um but i do think that things carry epigenetically and psychically across all the generations so that if we have this huge western world of people all being told that Christ is the image of, of God, the manifestation, the son of God, and that we're all made in the image of God, then it creates this anthropomorphic centricness, to use a word that's too big and means something, but it's not very useful otherwise. <laughs> Anthropomorphocentricism, how's that? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, I've got it. I've got it. What is the name when we're talking about? I kind of wanted to look at your ideas. So you bring up flat Earth, and uh, and for me, anyone who knows, any everything's on the table until it's not, and that's still on the table because of some incredible, credible uh, people out there with questions that I feel are not solidly uh, answered when we start looking at the globe theory. And, uh, but I, I don't have bets on any horse, Right. but I'm wondering what's the nature of, from where you come outside of the firmament, what, what is outside of the firmament? Um, well, I mean, like I, for me personally, I don't have like a really nailed down pristine theory, just so you know, but in the group that I'm in that we've studied, the theory that gets batted around is that uh, that there's I, I hesitate to call it super mechanical or something like there's some kind of physical reality that's creating this reality through light and vibration and sound so that it's almost like we're like you could say that the the sky or the firmament or whatever you want to call it is something like 
in uh, a liquid crystal display that uh, manifests in, you know, I guess what we would call four dimensions if you're going to include time, right? And so, and that it's something kind of like a huge, oh, I'm trying to think of. Snow globe? I'm trying to think. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's. No, I know it's what like you're talking it's about. A... It's a projection through something. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And so I was trying to think of, the, remember those things that spin around and they make it look like the horse is running? It's not called a rotoscope. I think it's, it's a, stereograph or is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I mean, that's the theory that's been batted around. And if you were to read the details on the threads, it has some credence, but there's no way that I could uh, present it to you guys right now off the, off the cuff oh, to okay. make it make any sense, you know? Yeah, I, I personally think the sky is a four-dimensional interactive hologram. And yeah, not, that sounds not, really similar too. Yeah, not necessarily holograms like we think of them today, but you know, right, a, a digital projection of some sort, or it could even be analog. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Right. But yeah, no, that's I'm, so that's really similar to to what we talk about in the group and we've had in in private chats and stuff is like that it's some kind of a projection that, well, like you said, like a, a hologram is a good example of it yeah like a picture in a textbook but it doesn't give it any credence or explanation you right. know like the real explanation we'd have to like we'd have to get the secret space program people to actually open <laughs> books for us so that we could actually get some ideas of what these things we can't describe are before we start you know using them in a coherent dialogue where's so. Corey good when we need him <laughs> oh, <Lord. laughs> kidding so yeah i mean my 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 cosmology right now is that we live in a holodeck for lack of a better term it's yeah that's pretty close to this so that's yeah. that's funny to come full circle and think that we're almost on the identical page because i right. agree yeah it's like which means and that's why it works that's why it for does work things to manifest and that's why we're seeing such an increase in people noticing yep. that their conscious lives are manifesting things and we have things like the uh the mandela effect I, I like the subreddit retconned better so i usually call it the retconned <laughs> effect because it seems like mandela's gotten a negative association yeah. to it you know um yeah. but if you point this out to people that don't study this crap like we do they go huh what and then you give them like a, a hundred lists of things that are wrong and they find at least three or four that they're like that can't be right you know <laughs> and so and, and it just messes with you like it like i don't study it a lot but sometimes when i go back and look at it i'm like like what's the one like the i wrote a song in high school a heavy metal song about um ed mcmahon delivering big checks yep for for publishers clearinghouse which you never so did for, yeah for them to say that he <laughs> never did it it's like well what was i writing my lyrics about i wasn't writing about that other uh sweepstakes that they say that he was with you know i was writing. you know it says you know publishers clearinghouse in my lyrics so i totally remember that by the way as well yeah, I mean, that's <clears throat> the Mandela stuff's pretty interesting to study, but <clears throat> excuse me, I came away from it with the feeling that it was misremembering for the most part. But even if it was true, there'd be no way to prove it was true because. Right. Yeah. That's the problem is you're running too low. If the world actually changed, if reality shifted, then there's there's nothing we can do to verify it right except for say because i said so you know we're going to appeal to our own authority which doesn't work very good for me especially with the police <clears throat> yeah i <clears throat> i had uh i had a personal quote-unquote mandela effect uh with the word dilemma when i when i was in you know grade school whatever i was taught to 
to spell it D-I-L-E-M-N-A. Okay, interesting. And at some point, and I think I figured out when, it was early 2000, it changed to uh, L-E-M-M-A. The N was gone. So <clears throat> the uh, I, I think a lot of the, the language changes, and I'm seeing more of it now, more and more and more of it now, uh, was when Google introduced autocorrect. Is, is when yeah, that... people started picking up on this new spelling and started to use it, and it became the the uh, the norm. But even if you Google dilemma with an N, you won't find much. It's in a few books, but but the, yeah. <laughs> that's the way I was taught to spell it forty years ago. It's yeah, just... well, there's a lot of there's a lot of angles to speculate as to why it could be different or wrong too. So it's not just that either you misremembered it or that the entire known universe has changed. You know, there's some other angles to come at it from too, you know. Exactly. And so it becomes uh, convoluted pretty fast, you know. Yeah, but th this kind of goes back to Nisha's point about the quote-unquote AI, the internet, the, the techno technological overlord, whatever you want to call it, is guiding so is changing things to guide civilization in a certain way vis-a-vis uh, -vis changing words like dilemma its know. way yeah. guiding things its way it's a way what I, makes... we don't know it's its way it's a way we don't know who's driving that or what is driving that it well, <clears throat> what makes us so sure that the world we turn off when we shut our eyes and check out is the same world we come back to. I mean, I wonder why we have such a confidence in the continuity of that. Speak for when, yourself. Well, no, I'm not. I'm, <laughs> this is a question because, right, I'm riding these waves with you. Right. And, but, uh, you know, I mean, this is the same. If we inverse that, it's, it's the same thing with uh, when you turn off this world and you go into vis-a-vis REM and into uh, liminal states and dreams and wherever that can take you, that you would expect to go back into the same narrative, say, that you were having the last time you were there. And now with some of my dreams, I mean, I have places I, I wake, I go and I have, I have a house. I have some places I have an apartment and uh, it's all familiar and I just go pick up. It's like coming back here, yet it's still different. It's, it still doesn't have the texture of this particular uh, game board. However, there is this like expectation collectively that is a gravitational pull that is electrified and magnetic and somehow through all of that keeps us attached to this particular narrative collectively where I can constantly, uh, I can wake up and go bitch at Jerry, you know, like, or, and, and have my same tea. And then I have a, an, a planner where I've got up, okay, I planned into next week or whatever. This is 
perplexing to me because it is running the, and I always like to say it's the Catherine wheel, because it's running long narratives and stretching them out with whatever time is because time shifting because of this self-actualizing construct around us that is definitely electrical and digital. And so I'm just wondering when we start looking at overlays that play into ideas of Mandela effects or Mandela effects, sorry, and uh, deja vu and uh, these different forms of causality looping, it's, we question it. And I, it, it feels like the idea of crazy for me here is in trying to make something more stable, more dense and gra with a center core of gravitation as, as we do. We, we seem to be really tied into this narrative collectively where we all are right here, right now. I love it that seems song. anomalous. Right here, right now. Jesus Jones. <laughs> yeah, I remember that song. Yeah, well, I, I think I think that you're right, but I also see that starting to come apart where we're getting clusters of people who are um, they're differentiating themselves from the complete norm of of time space reality and starting to function in both or try to reject as much of this one as they can and function in their own usually as a group not you know well i mean if you do that as an individual obviously they usually give you some kind of a diagnosis and uh and don't let you roam free anymore but uh well I, they do these days however right yeah <laughs> i could hook you up with some stalkers <laughs> i'll pass thank you though i appreciate yeah. the offer but I'll pass. you really do want to pass trust me <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i think um I think it's 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 more malleable now than it used to be somehow, and that that's probably the direction this whole thing is heading. So and that kind of falls back into the same thing you were talking about that something's changing. You know what I tell people is that it's like, okay, so we hit some kind of a high watermark with uh, what we would call um, scientific material reality, and if you dig into really trying to prove the quote unquote materialist worldview, it falls apart pretty hard and fast. Whereas just 50 years ago, they could at least argue it a little bit more effectively. And now it doesn't seem to hold up. It, I mean, it only holds water for really dogmatic, closed-minded people who won't reply to emails or come on shows like this one, you know? Yes. Um, and, yes. uh, and I think it's gonna continue to graduate in that direction um, to where we're gonna see a lot more skips or jumps or recognize more loops or you know see parallel events happening or whatever you know all of these these types of things where it's going to become undeniable so you're going to have to confront it and then there's going to be doubt cumulatively instead of reassurance in the nature of the material world you know yeah i've, I've always had this contention that uh universe will slap you in the face continually and harder until you snap out of it. Yes, and it will. <laughs> That's why I try to keep my ear to the ground for the universe. Like I'm listening, bro. I'm yeah. here with you. You don't, you can just totally tap me on the shoulder and I'll get with it here. <laughs> well, what do you think of synchronicity when you say that? Because that's what immediately where my mind goes. Mine too. I was just thinking about that. Stop stealing <laughs> sync, my thoughts. Sync, get out of my head. Sync, Jerry. Sync. <laughs> Beautiful. We used to have a bell on picture shows, so that was a tremendous synchronicity for me right now. 
That's J- I bought go. it for Jim as a gift when I was on vacation, and we used it to clear the air when we felt like something big had happened or a subject change had happened or just whatever reason Jim felt necessary to ring the bell. So that gave me the chills, man. <laughs> well, for a change in subjects, I have a horn. So nice. That's for, that's our clown world our clown horn. World. <laughs> yeah, I just freaked my entering clown world. Snickers got all scared. Sorry, baby. So, Sean, what do you and, think about the synchronistic universe? Because you were kind of well, saying, I, like pulling up to it in a manner of language, but I didn't get a f- real vibe for it. Well, so what I try to do is uh, ignore a lot of syncs until they become very obvious and then take it into full account, you know, like. It's kind of the kind of you know what Jerry read about my writing in the introduction bio. It's it's a joke, but it's true. Like you know, I don't really write poetry. I don't sit around every day and say I need to write a poem today. You know, I'll put it off and I'll put it off and I'll put it off as much as like the temptation comes. Like I see the moon and I think, oh, the moon. It's like no, I'm not going to do it. And then finally something happens. You know, a crow and a chemtrail paint cross in front of the moon at the same time. All right, I got to write a poem. And I I treat synchronicity the same way that I I try to allow it to remain in the subconscious until it shows the signs that it's being insistent and then jump on it. Because I feel like otherwise I go mad and I'm seeking and searching after synchronicity all the time. And I'm lining it up where maybe it doesn't line up or I'm trying to take in, you know, I've got my filter on too low. So I'm taking too much in and then I'm accounting everything as a sink when maybe it's not as big of a sink as I'm making out to be. So, I mean, that's typically my approach with it. Yeah. I'd say I learned that partly from, I think it was Jason Horsley and a man named Bronco Malik. They were talking about it on Jason Horsley's podcast. I think his podcast is ending. Um, I don't really tune in anymore, but I do go back sometimes, but they were talking about how people who think that, um, immersing themselves in a world of pure synchronicity and really looking out for it and trying to read and measure it all the time, that they're actually causing themselves to draw closer to madness because if everything sinks, then nothing sinks. It was something like that. You know, I might be misrepresenting their conversation. I hope not. But I mean, that's what it meant to me because that's why I do it the way I do. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, if everyone's special, then no one's special. Same kind of idea. Yeah. But I, I totally agree with that. Synchronicity has to have meaning, it has to be in your face like oh my god and <clears throat> i think lately the bell the bell was of a huge sink <laughs> <laughs> i think uh there's been more for me at least there's been the synchronicities that have been occurring for me lately have been more digitally inspired which i think is happening to a lot of people where they're and and i, I don't know what exactly it is i could speculate it's our phones or whatever doing it but where you where you talk about something or you thinking in private and you or you thinking about something and then it shows up in in your face in an ad on the internet or in yeah. twitter feed or on facebook or whatever it's like whoa i was just thinking about that why is it here yeah and for sure know, i see a lot of that too right where it seems like i'll tell you guys a trippy ass story so uh before i had asked my girl to marry me um uh we had we were down the river swimming in a waterfall like a small beautiful little kind of lagoony area a little secret spot that we knew about over there and um we had put all of our 
stuff in our bags and kind of set it off in the shade in the corner along, you know, our ice chests and all of our backpacks or bags. And we'd unloaded all of our electronics because we're going to get wet. Right. And so as we're uh, swimming around in the waterfall, I had some uh, some goggles and um, I jokingly, you know, I was I was foreshadowing and hinting to her. I said, you know, I'm, I'm down here at the bottom of the falls looking for an engagement ring because I can't afford to buy one right now. You know, it's just a joke. I'm just being a smart ass, you know, and uh when I got back to my phone, um, not even two hours after we were done swimming, I was getting ads like crazy for engagement rings. And it's like, how's that work? Like what you can feel my vibration, Facebook, you, you can read my mind. You can like, you've got some kind of input on me when I'm under the water at the base of a waterfall. And it, so that really tripped me out as far as like, yeah, I couldn't ignore it at that point, Jerry, for sure. Like, what the hell is this? How could this be? Because I didn't say anything else. That was probably the very first time I ever mentioned engagement or anything. Because if you're a smart man, you don't screw around with that kind of language. You either have a decision in place and then you start to talk about it or you, you stay shut up. Because <laughs> it's a big deal, you know. I mean, a lot of it I know is generated by Google from like when you do searches. And that stuff's all stored somewhere and is used, is fed into all these other websites to produce those kind of things. But there's other ones where, like you said, where you don't, you never typed it in. You just thought about it. Like you thought about in your head. <laughs> I've, yeah. I, I've even had lately where I, this was funny. I, this happened to me. I talked about this last week, I think with, uh, uh, John Carter, the movie, the Disney movie called John Carter. Um, oh, that sounds familiar. It's about a civil war soldier who gets transported to Mars it's it's actually not a bad movie, so I recommend it. But um, I was I was looking on YouTube and I saw something like um, there's a guy on YouTube named Joe Blow Videos, which uh, he does like deep dives into what happened with movies and whatnot, why the production failed or didn't fail or what what went wrong with the the entire production. Anyway, uh, they had put out this was a couple weeks ago. They put out a show about what happened to John Mars or John Carter. So. I watched that, and just watching that set off this cascade of of synchronicities with John Carter. I started getting more suggestions for John Carter. Uh, I talked about it with uh, Suzanne and Adam. We were talking about John Carter, and then I actually watched the movie that weekend. And then like two days later, someone else had a video talking about John Carter and the synchros around John Carter for him. It's like it's like a double synchro that spanned two people. It was really weird. Yeah. It was Yogi Chander, by the way. Did that video. I don't know if he's still in chat. Oh, was he in the chat? He was. Yeah, we love Yogi. Yeah. Oh, he is here. Yeah. He remembers. He just said he remembers that. <laughs> oh, and Matt Modwiz is here. Hey, buddy. How you doing? Glad to see you. Hey, Modwiz and Yogi. I, who else is here? Oh, geez. We've got a whole cast of crew. Here. We got everybody. Hello out there in chat. See, we have uh, Flavor Towns here. Hey, Flavor Town. Durple Hayes, Harrison, Jay Armstrong, Kelly Boyles, Lils, Madfinger, NPC oh. 3.14. Oswald's okay. here. Keats is here. Rivers, oh. Suzanne, Yogi, and three people I don't know. Oh, yeah, my, my chat's not, not, I keep refreshing it to try and keep up with the chat and it keeps giving me this uh, chat disconnected. Please, please oh. try again later. So. Yogi just said that Emily was talking about John Carter, which I think triggered his, yeah, hey, he and Mike, she and Michael Wan were talking about it, which 
then caused Yogi to have that synchro, and then I had the synchro with him making a video about it. It was like, whoa. It's a wave. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obama's here. Thank you for Flavortown. Okay. <laughs> Flavortown so is a regular on the Cruising with Steak Patreon podcast, or I'm sorry, the Shonen Dump podcast. So check that out if you're into anime. He's a heartbreaker. Okay, so I want to get into this idea of when, so I think I mentioned this idea of the mirror. When you look in the mirror, did I mention that earlier? No, nah, I don't think so. Okay, that must have been when I was recording with Emily earlier. Um, this, so when you look in the mirror and you're seeing your reflection, what is it? So it, okay, so to backstep, when I'm in dream space, one of the things I do look for is reflective surfaces to get an idea of the eye in the game. And, uh, you know, sometimes I can find them, sometimes not, sometimes, you know, whatever. So when we're in this space, when you get up and go to the bathroom and you're washing your hands, there's the mirror, you see yourself. What is it that makes us associate what we're seeing in the mirror as self and i know this is a big deal and it, it's you know it was overplayed in uh the the era of the great salons with the great thinkers however it's something that's kind of coming back around for me when talking to people this idea of okay that's me in the mirror that's me but in the end, what, what makes us so sure that what we're seeing is a reflection of self? Like this is a very mystical experience. And the reason I asked that is when I was doing holography modeling for Harriet Kazan Silver, I, it was one of those things where you don't know, like look, looking at yourself 3D, like you're out of body, is how looking at yourself in a hologram is. Like you really cannot understand the contours of your face from just video and video mapping of your face until you see it kind of holographically and you get to experience yourself in that that way. And so when we're looking at the mirror, which is basically a pool of refractive or reflect reflective reflective light coming back at us, it's just it it's interesting to me because we've got all the psychological layers going here. Some you'll see and hear about people with eating disorders. So a, a 60 pound woman looks in the mirror and sees a 300 pound woman and yeah. how we play these tricks on ourselves. So I'm trying to, I guess, ask, where do you stand on some of that? Because that to me is the base foundation of a lot of the rest of this construct that we are all ascribing to. It's a oh, yeah, plane. I mean, it's like a the, dimensional plane. Like the most, the most core, core philosophy. You know what? You know not only what is self, but how do you know for sure self is self? And if you think it's you in the mirror, then why, right? Because um, we know lots of people definitely. I mean, I see myself in the mirror and I identify with myself as the body that is SB but I don't identify this body as quote unquote me because whatever's me is like beaming a signal to this body that's keeping it animate for as long as I'm here. And the true me is greater than whatever this is. 
I'm inhabiting the whole thing, I can become less aware or more aware of it if I meditate or focus or do deep breathing or if I have to walk up 500 steps, especially, especially you know, I really feel suddenly like I'm in my body. Um, but some people, um, they have that disconnected isn't the right word. There's a word when you when you feel like you're viewing yourself as the third person you know, usually they call it mental illness, but I would disagree that it's disassociated. It's, yeah, dissociative disorders. So if you know, like those people definitely don't, don't see themselves in the mirror as self, they know that they've been told to identify that as self. And so they probably do as a go along to get along strategy. But you know, or, I mean, I've had that experience, uh, you know, I'll be a little bit candid, you know, say way back in the 90s, um, we had a bathroom in in uh, one of these guys' college dorms that was full of uh, Iron Maiden posters. And there was a few big mirrors in there and we would drop acid and go in there and smoke cigarettes in the mirror. And it definitely gives you that dissociative feeling. If I look back on that memory, I don't see that as me. I even felt like I was looking at me in the body and in the mirror and marveling because of the effects of the LSD. So it's a great question. I mean, I, I, I'd love to do a survey or like get funded for research to find out uh, how many people, if we could convince them to be candid, would admit that they don't truly identify even in the mirror as self, but that they just go along to get along. I would be curious to see how many people admit it, you know, because it might be a lot more than we think. And don't forget that looking in the mirror can be a form of scrying. Oh, yeah. I mean, a black mirror, I don't know, uh, you know. And Obsidian oh. Mirror is the main, I mean, I remember seeing that Poke Runyon video on, on YouTube <laughs> of him reenacting the Solomonic magic with his two. Yes. Uh, it's so I mean, it's so focused. corny, but so great. Oh, you know? my God. He's a grandfather of it. I love it. He's still alive. We should get him on. I know. Well, he's hard to he's get on. A, yeah, he's got a show, but he'd probably come on if he saw what you guys are doing. I've written you to him to a few times. It's his woman. It's his wife you have okay. to get in touch with. You uh, reminded me something I wanted. We were talking back, just rewind a few, half hour, half hour. Uh, we're talking about uh, being in a type of a hol interactive hologram or a holodeck or whatever you want to call it. Right, right. <clears throat> um, one point I wanted to make about that is if that were true, it would explain so many weird things that happen here. It would explain magic. It would explain why science works. It would explain why people's uh, observations are all different, why there's Mandela effects. You know, it's just this. Yeah. It's all based on your personal reality bubble and then the influence of that and the influence of the group of people that you also influence the, the reality with. You know, it's just kind of just it's a fluid changing thing. It's constantly in motion. Yeah, the, the viewing frustum. That's what made me think of, I don't know how much you guys have studied game design, but this came back to that flat earth model too, that there's uh, like the kind of truncated pyramid shape uh, that a projection makes when it's trying to, usually they're talking about when it's landing on a flat screen, but even more so when you're doing 3D modeling, like uh, Nish was just talking about. Blender, that, you know, type stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <clears throat> there's, there's like this one area where things are really going to, gonna work and if you know anything about how programming works they can't build these huge uh like games 
They can't build the whole world and have it render. Right. They have to render just what's in the frustrum. So it makes a lot of sense what you're saying that if uh, if that's the way the world is and and this realm is just trying to pull data back in. Yep. Because we went back, you know, we go open the boxes from 1972 and pile through our dad's stuff, and it seems like it's not the right stuff. Some of it seems off. It's like well, because you know they just rendered it effectively as they could, <laughs> but you know, so some of it literally is off. You know that. Right. And and. And that also plays into this idea I have about uh, about space not being real. You know, when they when they show rockets launching and whatnot, you never see. I've yet I have yet to see the transition out of the atmosphere. No, it always glitches out right there. Always, I watched hundreds yeah. of videos because yeah. of flat Earth research, and it's yeah. like, oh my god, it, I, I wrote a song about it. If you guys want, at the very end when we're done, I'll play it before <laughs> we go. You're like the <laughs> other conspiracy music guru. Um, oh, my, my own personal, I'll give you an insight into my true paranoia brain. When I first saw that guy, I thought they saw me making parano- They saw me making flat earth songs and they hired this guy to go be famous at it. So I won't get there. You know, <laughs> I, I don't believe him. that's true, but that's my paranoid brain. You know, like, oh, man, they they push this guy out to, to steal my spot. <laughs> no, I think he's pretty legit. He wrote uh, yeah. Crow's new intro song. Oh, is that him? Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, That's cool. The drums. Doo, 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 doo. Crow's an interesting guy. Uh talked to him a few times. We gotta get him on the show. Yes, definitely. So what so gentlemen, what is the I wanna look at field theory, but and I want to apply it to uh this greater conversation we're having. So what is the etheric field in how do you see the etheric field, Sean? And us start with you. What is it? What is the ether around us? Well, it- I, I, the way I see it, I, I would say that uh, Ken Wheeler uh, from YouTube. Uh, we need so- him on. I love him. Yeah, so good, luck. good luck. Ken Wheeler's hard to get a hold of. You know? Written to him twice, never answered. I know that uh, he, if you, I love he's kind of like a politician. If you send some money and write, I hear he writes back, you know, and I'm not putting him down. You know, Ken, people are hounding Ken Wheeler every day for his information because he's such a brilliant genius. Yeah, but his is. insight about, you know, I guess the way I would describe it is like if there's just beingness that just is and we call it God or we give it some kind of a name, but it's just beingness. I see it like a magnet. So it's like this huge magnet. And I'm not even thinking of a physical object. It's just the concept of magnetism and that there's no real reason for it to demonstrate itself. So the field is invisible until something happens. So when the perturbation happens, something happens, then the field reveals itself and there it is, but it's really just uh, like, it's just the shadow or the reflection or the the evidence of something happening yeah exactly and that's that's the way i always see it is that like there's this interlaced i see it as a magnetic because because of his videos of the magnets where he shows the live real-time you know magnetic field i i see in my mind when i meditate i see the whole world like that and that that interlaced system whatever that is that that's the field you know and that it's uh, it is one unified thing but that it also represents all individual things you know and that if everything could be completely still and silent, like say God takes a nice nap, then it would not cease to exist, but it would cease to show itself. That's the way I look at it, you know. 
Yeah, that <clears throat> that goes back to his theory on light, on what light is, that it's a, a field perturbation of right, energy. Right, yeah, that's, so. that's what really clicked for me when, when yeah. he was talking. And I watched that video, or at least a couple of those similar videos, over and over again, trying to really digest it, <laughs> yeah. because it blew my mind, you know, like, can we... Yeah, like, you have to with him. <laughs> but for those listening, his theory is that light doesn't travel, that there's an emitter of some type of energy... And that energy travels through the medium, which he thinks is the ether. And I kind of agree with that. So travels through the ether and it disturbs the field at some end point, which manifests light. So it's the perturbation or the, the disturbance of the field at a certain area that generates the light. The energy plus that perturbation makes light. It's not that the light is actually traveling in photons and packets. He, he disavows anything... He calls uh, anything that's particle-based the cult of bumping particles, right? Yeah. That's his thing. Atomism. Atomism, yes. right. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, I mean, I tend to agree with him. You know, I, I, I really, it blew my mind, you know. Well, the way he lays it out, once you understand what he's saying, it's like, oh, yeah, that's logical. That makes sense. And Yeah, and there's and there's evidence that you can put against it that, like, like I mean, his joke that, you know, you can't open up your camera and shake out the photons and have a little pile of them, <laughs> right. you know, off of, that, that where they had collected on the sensor. You know, I, I was, you know. He was recently going on about the nature of shadows. Did you all watch that? Uh, I, I need to go back and look. I've been so busy. I haven't really been doing my, well, honestly, ever since uh, Tracy Twyman passed away, I, I really kind of fell out of full-blown regular searching and studying i've kind of come back to it in the last three or four months but i've been busy because we moved but yeah like i really felt i used to keep up with a lot of stuff and i really you know i read i read more books laying in bed now than i do just uh deep dive on the internet i mean i still do but it's just not like it used to be i don't know if i'll ever go back to to doing it the way i used to you know? i think a lot of us are in that boat there's almost i mean two years ago i was glued to youtube like I could not wait to see what was on next on all these. Yeah. And, and now there's just nothing on there. It's all politics, which I don't give a shit about. And people fighting over shit and just it's drama. There's nothing. Yeah. There's no interesting information I care to absorb off of YouTube anymore. I blame Keemstar. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. And I think that's just part of the. We saw it coming uh, as soon as YouTube was awesome, and we can remember when YouTube was absolutely the awesomest thing that ever was. As soon yes. as we, the was it Vivo? Was that the first music uh, platform to really get and kind of try to make a compromise so that you could have copyrighted music up there? Is that right? Is it Vivo? I think so. V E V O, right? But yeah, yeah. So when those guys started, I knew that it was already like that was the the writing on the wall and since then it's just like they've just done everything they can to transmorgify youtube into their mainstream you know they've just shoved it into the legacy media box they knock everything down with copyright strikes they have all these strict stupid rules the um, all of their alleged street uh their 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 feeds you know the algorithms they claim are, are what's trending are all just pay to play yeah payola nonsense you know and it just sucks. It's not any fun anymore. It's all drama. It's all politics. It's all uh, completely curated and censored. Like, I just sound like an old man when anyone talks to me about it. <laughs> back in the day. Get back in the lawn. day. 
There it was doesn't so many matter. You've already shows. been digitally twinned and <laughs> mapped out for years and years and years. And uh, where we are now is it doesn't need you. And so the organic you can sit in bed and read a book, but there is a digital you that is existing and uh, knows everything about your mannerisms, your speech patterns, your flicker rate of blinks, etc. And it's been mapping you for a very long time. At this point, I call it a PA now, personal assistant, but what I mean, that's my uh, code word to get around the <coughs> Uncle Algo thing, that, that the twinning that's We're happened. We're so we sorry. <laughs> and so there was a dude who used to talk about that really the digital twinning anthony patch was his name is his oh, name. oh interesting yes 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 <clears throat> he, he, and, he had this thing this idea that there was some supercomputer with a digital representation of like a sim of everybody in it sorry go well, ahead we started to well we we have we have accepted and agreed to these contracts and it's continuing on now and especially now that everything's connected so unless you're using old school tesla bulbs which i do uh, and they still work they've been working over a hundred years you tesla can buy or edison tesla bulbs uh, you can buy them in the wilds yep and uh and then they were remaking them uh, about it. Well, they still remake remake them, but I think they're now digital. You know, I think they're like modern bulbs now. Um, but there were some like over a decade ago when they were remaking them that you could buy. I bought some of those, and I they a decade, and they're still going strong. By the way, and they I don't remember because Tesla made a new bulb because of the Chicago World's Fair or whatever it was, and he didn't. You know, he he went allegedly. He went and like came up with a, a design different than Edison's and that was the whole kick that yes. it lasted forever. I that, remember that yeah. you didn't unless you actually physically broke it or something they would right. and there's still many Tesla bulbs in uh in buildings in government buildings especially out east they have been going strong for a hundred years. So but like I said you can you can get these in the wilds at antique stores on eBay and they're worth the price because they they won't go out but plus they're not tracking you they're not part of the internet of things and uh, I highly recommend it but beyond that what I'm saying is this digital twinning we have we have programmed our pods so in the language of like the invasion or invasion of the body snatchers the pod people the pod aspect is actually your digital twin that you have created and with your PA your personal AI, uh, it doesn't need us really anymore. And this is what I've been was suggesting earlier with this reveal of alien consciousness and life out there that it's not going to be what we think it is. And that I postulate that if we get the the von Braun experience where it's something, some tech based uh, illusion or fuckery that happens to be in the form of humanoids, uh, then I think that's the fuckery. I think that the the real 
alien on board is on board and it doesn't have the form we expect it to have. And so with your digital twin, your pod, your invasion pod of the body snatchers of this uh, hive mind experience that can fractalize out into individuals such as Sean or Jerry or me uh, can represent you. And we have given the power to it. And so the more people program autocorrect, the more people program or use in the emails now where they have the fast response of thanks or, you know, whatever. Yeah. It prompts me to do that. It drives me crazy. And it makes me even more irritated when it, accurately predicts what I want to say. It's like, oh, I have to tab over and let it cheat for me. Dang it. I mean, I don't, right. but you know. But, it's, <laughs> but it the, mean, the more yeah. we interact with that, the uh, the more autonomous it ultimately becomes. And I remember uh, interfacing with a program in like the early 2000s that was teaching these, it was a beta program, and it was basically creating a digital you, but it was teaching it to respond to say, it was going through office stuff. So office calls, office texts, uh, text messages, and uh, stuff like that, that would sound like you because you programmed it and you programmed it with a whole series of tests and uh, and it was it was a non-sentient, you know, autonomic AI system that would just auto respond to people, but in a way that looked and sounded like you and not right. Not like the Autobot kind of thing. And so how deep into this are we? And that's the thing. How deep into this are we really? And this mass awakening is a very interesting thing because I want to tie in a little bit of woo here because none of that's woo. That's all in the tech digital world that's come forward. Right. Very real if you just read about it. Here's the woo. So they have been exhuming and using bodies from ancient dig sites, uh, mummies, if you will, all over the world. And this does not pull into the, the equation here, the stuff that uh, some of these museums and the Vatican and stuff have housed for a very long time. Like one thinks of the giants in the, in the Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin area that farmers kept pulling up and uh, they were getting, they'd hit like a local paper. And so there would be evidence of it that we can go back and look at. And of course, the small stories in these small towns, and uh, they are there, they exist. Uh, but then they would disappear into the museum black vaults. And so this awake, this great awakening, this great uh, pivot towards something new has everything to do with all of that. Now I'm not, I, and I'm postulating here, but I'm not completely sure of the P's and the Q's here, but this is at play and it's happening now. And they're showing some of this in, in uh, media and stuff. So in the mockingbird world, in the reflective black mirror that is telling us what our reality is, they are showing us this. So this is all going out in the optics. Right. They're, they're feeding it in on their regular, semi-regular, you know, quote unquote, alternative, maybe, but not like a true, you know, of course, any of us that have been out here doing this know that most of the alternative media is just a raz, you know, it's not, you know, it might be people doing it for money, but it's definitely not just organic uh, channels. Like, I mean, you guys seem very authentic to me, whereas a lot of other channels don't, you know, and so if it's going out on their main channels, then it's a... Uh, 
it's padding, you know, they're greasing the skids, they're getting us ready for something, you know, they're, they're moving us in a direction. It's opening up neural pathways. So right. Yeah. Like yeah. It's, yeah. It's a twinkle in the sky, essentially, because of the synaptic response to it. And, yeah. and so think about that re amalgamating or bringing it back to life old mummies from whatever old so with CRISPR and uh, all the cloning techniques and everything i mean the mind could go in a lot of different places but all of this is settled down into uh traceable trackable paper uh trails of information and i guess we will see where this goes but why is there such a uh an urgency to bring these mummies back to life, Lazarus, Lazarus, Lazarus. Some kind of ritual. Well, there's a Merovingian connection here that is very intriguing. And uh, because it's, you know, there's a speculation here that that was part of the seating back there in like 11, 1133 and all these key significant <clears throat> years that tie into uh, these ancient, these ancient ones. Uh, yeah, you know, you just made me think if, if it's true that we're coming up on some kind of quote unquote reset, civilization wise. Right. Um, maybe the resurrecting of these mummies and whatnot are to prime the pumps for the next group of humans. Something maybe, is going maybe on. Maybe yeah. they're the, the foundation upon which it needs to be built. I don't know. Yeah. And it, what popped into my head as soon as you started talking about it, Nish was, uh, I think it was Mark Stavish in his egregores book. Um, yes was talking about how Mussolini went and um, I don't remember if he was looking for the spirit of destiny or what, but he went back and tried to, he used, I don't remember if it was magic books or um, body parts. That's why when you started talking about mummies, it made me think of uh, relics. So I don't remember if it was a relic or a book or a combination or an amulet, but he went back to where uh, the Romans had used some, you know, power of ancient gods, and he went back and used that for himself, allegedly at the beginning of World War II or whatever, you know, so it's just to me, it's a similar track, right? Like to go into the past, capitalize on what's powerful, and to use it in the present to, to make waves and to, to take action. Yeah, but who's to say that that power that's imbued in that object is not uh, self-actualized that the belief in that power powers the object itself. And yeah, and I, I'd see it more that way too. I agree. Yeah. I think that that's more likely that that it makes me think of the um, the movie Book of Eli, right? The fact that there is a Bible that someone can have, you know, and that it's the only one. Then no matter what the Bible, if, even if it's not a real Bible, uh, then there's this huge egregoric type power yes. because of it, you know, yep. so it doesn't matter if it's actually it doesn't have to be stored in there like photons in a camera lens or whatever, you know, it could just be the idea opens people uh, up to the belief. And then once you have them open to belief, then there's power, you know. Yep. <clears throat> that's to, in my mind. That's what the moon landing was. I think so. too. It yeah. doesn't matter if it happened or not. 
the idea is out there and enough people believed in it that it it became yeah. this Bingo. awakening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it made the United States into the kings of space for all time, you know. Well, not now. China's on the Mars. <laughs> but that's still it's I noticed still it was purple too. I saw I saw that Mars was purple, not red, so apparently I just saw this news story before the show too that uh <clears throat> the uh lander footage of the Mars lander is apparently frame by frame frame identical to the NASA lander footage. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. And made a joke that they that NASA and China hired the same Fiverr guy to do. <laughs> Fiverr. <laughs> Fiverr oh, don't don't tempt me. I'll go on Fiverr and, and get some space footage made. Yeah. 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 Why not? I mean, you know, Eric's only picture show moon landing. <laughs> there's almost nothing that comes out of NASA that's actual, like photographs that are actual photographs it's all cgi it's all cgi oh i've got this whole uh, yeah i've got a whole stack of books that i bought for like five or six bucks at a yard sale or a secondhand store and they're from the 90s and it's like you know this many books each one of them is about uh it's probably a dozen books and they're about a uh, less than an inch wide each and it's all about space and every planet and all of the scientists and all of the the missions and the equipment and and it's all cgi mm -hmm. you know it's there's no the only photography is these guys sitting there in their in their white coats or with their pipe or there's a picture of the telescope right but all the alleged evidence of space and all of the satellites and all of the equipment is all cgi and so i, I bought the whole stack just as a way to indemnify myself when people argue if they really want to get in an argument like okay well you have to flip through every page of this whole reference section like i did and see that there's no photography of space in here i mean i really wanted there to be at least a couple blurry pictures or something but it's just it's not there yeah not there. there's 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 a lot of high altitude pictures but there's no, yeah. you know, everything else is pretty much CGI. And that reminded me too of, uh, I think it was the Mercury missions where they were orbiting the earth and they, they did the first spacewalk. There's one of those videos that, uh, where the guy leaves the capsule, he's on a cord and he turns his head and like salutes back to the camera. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I remember that one distinctly. Yeah. Right. Well, so the space suits that they wore at that time, there was no articulation in the neck. Right. <laughs> and that's the one that looks the most like true old school uh, stop, stop frame motion. Action. Yep. Yep. Because yes. I love Ray Harryhausen and all yep. those old movies. So it's like you just, it's a very distinct look. Nothing looks like true stop action photography. And it looks so much like it. It is just like, oh, you guys. You guys and, knew this wasn't going to stand the test of time. Well, they didn't. Had, I mean, this was back Disney. Disney was involved in that project. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they yeah. kind of generated all that. But it is standing the test of time because look at how many people still buy it. People don't look it's back true. at that anymore. It's hard to find and people don't look at it. They look, they'd rather watch SpaceX. <laughs> right. But what I'm rocket. saying is. What I'm saying is, and this is what's so frustrating with everything going on currently, is it's so, once you see what others don't see and how obvious it is, it's, you just can't, it's that whole matrix thing. You just can't turn that off really. So with everything going on right now in the collective, everything is so stupidly obvious to people that are looking and really asking questions 
and and digging beyond the pile that when you ask a question you get this you know pile of shit shoveled at you that you have to go through and uh and that's the response to the reality that is being pushed before us and yet when it's so obvious that you can see uh through all the propaganda for lack of a better word and through the narrative through the bullshit narratives when you can look at that old stock footage and go holy shit this is stop frame i mean just all the million ways in which you can pull stuff apart and then we look around and we're still in the minority no matter what look at yeah. and so I, I you know i'll be gracious and say we're there's a, a maybe a 50 50 divide now but it's still no when way it all looks well, <laughs> but when it all looks ten. so yeah. when it all looks so obvious i mean it's just i put i put my head in my hand constantly at stuff that's just so completely absurd and this is why i was talking sixth grade level uh, that it, it it just boggles my mind and uh, fucks with my perceptions of other people that so much can be, so much wool can be over everyone's eyes and they cannot see through the weave. Yeah, I have a theory about that too, that I think, uh, like I, this is the, Oh, this is the this is the speech I give people when they're too zealous about quote unquote waking people up. I tell them, look, if you're really asleep, unless it's an absolute emergency, like the room you're in is on fire, you probably don't want to be woken up in a hurry, no matter what. You don't want to be shook out of bed. You don't want to be screamed at or kicked or you know have water douched on you or anything to shake you out of your sleep. Especially if you're someone like me who sleeps like the dead. If you do that to me, I'm not responsible for what happens to you for at least five minutes. Because I mean, I'm me. just gonna, you know, <laughs> and I know that you know a lot of people are that way, right? So my theory is that a it doesn't work if you're gonna wake people up. If you absolutely insist that you have to, then take the really long, gentle slow approach you know go in the next room and turn the music on quietly you know close the door a little louder than you should so they start to wake from their slumber if you insist on waking people up but you have to notice that a lot of people are just pretending to sleep and if you're pretending to sleep you can prolong this waking up process as long as you want we all did it as kids if it was time to go to school or whatever there was something we didn't want to do and you just yes. throw the blanket more over your eyes and you roll over two more times and make a bundle out of, of your whole pile of bedding. And you do all these things to prolong uh, and feign sleep because you don't want to wake up. And I see a lot of people um, philosophically and metaphysically, they're in that state. They see it. They're, they're not in full-blown denial. A lot of people are in full-blown denial and they are literally dead cold asleep. But other people, they're just plain coy and they don't want to wake up. Well, if someone doesn't want to wake up, yeah, if they're not in danger, I'm not going to wake them up. They can pretend to sleep. They can lay there and sleep. You know, it's hard. When I was younger, way younger, uh, I used to, you know, make copies of 9-11 DVDs and enforce them on all my rock and roller <laughs> friends and make them get stoned and sit and watch them with me. Like, look at this, man. Look at the charges going off, man. There's no plane. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know. You got to read Christopher Bolin, man, and all this kind of stuff, you know, <clears throat> but I don't do that anymore because I, I guess I just respect people's boundaries more, you know, if they are actually asleep. Oh, yeah. You know, I, I think that's like good. I don't think it's wise to 
try to affect anyone else. I think, you know, the journey is, I think, ultimately a personal uh, experience. But just where I get frustrated is, is in the aspect of how obvious really little things are that I, you know, I notice. So when I'm, uh, yeah, I, I tend to, I like being a nice person. And so if you need to participate in whatever and be your damn self, do that. I'm just saying it's frustrating to find myself in the space where we are now, where what feels like a majority is trying to, on the other hand, control what I'm doing and control what I want to think and what I want to say and how I want to express myself. Now, see, that's crossing the line. I don't do that with other people. If you want to listen to me, if you want to rock with me, then we can do that. But other than that, you know, stay out, get off my dress, stay out, out of my bubble. And uh, I prefer to see and look at uh, I guess I prefer this perspective rather than uh, the perspective that is constructed around us as a reality that is so thin and flimsy uh, that frustrates me as a person looking and seeing how obvious it is. And the problem is people that I consider intelligent are, are can't see some of this stuff. And I, I refuse to call myself crazy because I can see patterns. No, yeah, and I'm, I'm right there with you. Please don't misunderstand me as saying that I think that you uh, take action in the world in any particular way as far as uh, that was just my metaphor for so many people that do seem like it's our our rally cry to wake people up when I agree with totally with what you said, like at the point at which it starts to infringe upon me, yeah, I'm going to have to make some points against it. But I think it really is, for lack of a better word, inner work, right? Like we're here to do the inner work. There's something about really being aware of yourself. And it doesn't matter to me how you do it, if it's a strictly dogmatic religion or meditation or taking ayahuasca at Burning Man, I don't care what the strategy is. But if it's getting to know you better and it's actually working, that's the real path. But it becomes really drudgery to see that, that people don't see it. I, I call it sitting with the gnosis. Like I know, I see, yes. and I've got a few people that I've met on the internet and a smaller handful that I know in real life that I can talk with and I feel really compassionately close to. But other than that, like everyone else is just out here and like, yeah, some of the smartest people I've ever met in my life, full blown, like, no, we definitely went to the moon. Like, what are you talking about? It's like, <laughs> like how do you, how do you not see it, man? Like you're one of the smartest guys I've ever met. How do you yes. believe the moon, you know? Yeah. And that's just one good example. And so yeah. that's why I'm saying, and it does seem like we're, we've turned down a path where it seems to be going to the extreme on this though. Yeah. Where it's become, a, to yeah, it's become just so absurd. And, uh, and then everything in the name of science now, well, there is, there's a lot under the category of science. And I think most of us, uh, people out here that are uh, dot connecting and questioning reality really enjoy science, real science, and yeah. real, and and understanding the difference between scientific theory and then an established <clears throat> scientific fact that came from a theory, and all of that in the world of science is mutable because it 
it's all interactive depending on what new has come into the field. And so this idea of the new science meme is crazy. So now that's been weaponized and propagandized to a deeper level. Yeah. Like, did you guys see this article where they're talking about um, how they kind of tried to spin the idea that all the people who are doing mask research, trying to really understand the efficacy of masks and, and compare all of the quote unquote peer reviewed and acceptable studies on masks. And they probably, I didn't read the whole article. I just listened to somebody blurb about it a little bit, but how it's like they admitted that the people who are critical of mask wearing and the science behind it are super effective at analyzing and, and reading and cataloging the data, but that they're being avant-garde or they used some term like that about their final conclusion. So they like, you know, still have to spin it back to like, but that's not what the data really says. But they also can't say they don't understand the data because when they did a study studying these people's comprehension of data, they found that they understand the data quite well, like better than a lot of other people. And they just still come to the contrary opinion that, yeah, wearing a mask is probably not a good idea, you know. That was an MIT study, actually. Yeah, yeah. I know you do a lot of this stuff. I appreciate you on Twitter, man, because uh, if I start ranting, you drop knowledge that helps to either uh, edify my position or to back it up. Either way, you know, I appreciate knowing the truth yeah. behind the truth. Thank you. I, I'm trying to I don't, I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just presenting things that I find interesting. It's not like yeah. I'm and I try to keep my commentary down on a lot of stuff. I just post what I find. No, but, it's uh, good. It's good. Yeah. Thank you. Well, cool. This has been a great conversation. It's been awesome talking to you. Yeah, this has yeah. been really, really. Yeah, I've, I feel like we like tied rocks to our ankles and went right to the deep end and just all <laughs> threw our rocks in and put our arms up and went down into the hole. And I really, I've loved it. I feel like I'm in a whole different place and I appreciate it very much. And it must be interesting because Flavortown is, Flavortown is still in chat. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> You, you have to come back again on an obelisk. This was really, really. This was an obelisk. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Another come back for another obelisk. Yeah, gotta, I'll, I'll definitely do that. I'll gotta have him come that. back for a Nox Mente. We could do that too, but I just I love the obelisk so much. I do too, and nobody wants to be on Nox Mente anymore. So. <laughs> well, it, you know, it's it, we have it in case we need it. I know. I know. <laughs> So thank you so much, Sean. Yeah. This was rewarding and a nice way to cap off this end of my day. Thank you. And thank you, Jerry. Oh, for sure. You're welcome. Yeah, thank you guys very much. I'm, I'm glad to come back anytime. Just hit me up uh, wherever, man. Twitter DMs are easy, but I think, uh, you know, Jerry's got me email. And, um, that, and plus, this gives me the... This gives me the um, reminder that I can tune in more often. You know, I, I catch your rerun sometimes. I forgot until Jerry pointed out that the show was live and it made me remember the reason that I never caught a whole bunch of these is because we were on at the same time when oh, we were still right. doing picture show. It was on Wednesday and, you know, so we were overlapping and there was no way if I got to the end of an episode of picture show that I was still tuning into anything. Yeah, totally. We do publish the show as a podcast, so you can go back. And awesome. Listen. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll add you to my pod reader if you're not already in there. I've got about a thousand things in there, but yeah. I love it. <laughs> Tell me about them. Same. All right, cool. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, it's been great having you here. Again, thank you, uh, SB and Nish. And next week, I think we're going to have Suzanne back. 
I haven't, oh, yeah. I haven't talked to her yet, but I will twist her arm and make her come back. Suzanne. <laughs> She'll be coming round the mountain. She will. <laughs> oh, Suzanne. Uh, so thank you, everyone in the chat that I don't see, but I'm always <laughs> happy that you're there. So Cool. All right, guys. Yeah, thanks so much, you guys. Have anyway, a good night, you guys. Yeah, you too. And everyone have a great night. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.